Well, hello, Eastlake Church. My name is Dave, and I have been friends with Brent and Kylie for several years. In fact, have tracked with you the entire history of your church, and it is a thrill to be with you today. I'm from the state of Wisconsin, where I started a church in the southeast portion of the state. If you've never been to Wisconsin, it is hot, humid, and saturated with mosquitoes. That being said, I've been to the Tri-Cities a few times, and I still think it's better than the Tri-Cities. It is hot as Hades around here. But uh, have a fun time. I have a fun time every time I'm in town. If you've never been to Wisconsin and you have Netflix, you should check out Making a Murderer, because those are my people. That's a couple hours from my house, and uh, that'll give you a little bit of idea of what our state is like. As for me, I am married. In fact, I've been married for 20 years now, and we have got two amazing kids and another one. So today I want to talk with you about something that quite honestly, uh, it doesn't matter where you're at in your spiritual journey, doesn't matter what your beliefs are about God, doesn't matter what demographic you fit into. This is something that you can relate to because the topic that we're going to discuss is rooted in something that every single one of us battle and confront on a regular basis, and that's fear. The fear of rejection, the fear of disappointment, the fear of looking stupid, the fear of making wrong decisions, the fear of uncertainty, the fear of failure, right? Every one of us battle with fear. And one of the myths that I think is very easy for followers of Jesus to buy into is this idea that because the Spirit of God is inside of us, that we should be able to rise above fear, that we should be able to punch it in the face and overcome it. And so we'll point to People like King David, who was the second king of Israel, and we'll point to some of his writings, and we will point out how he seemed to overcome fear, because he wrote things like, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. He wrote in another place, he says, the Lord is with me, I will not fear. In another place, he wrote, I sought the Lord, and he delivered me from all my fears. And then in another place, in another occasion of his life, he writes, the Lord is my strength. And then he asks the question, why should I be afraid? And so it's easy for us to say, well, look at King David overcame fear. And the irony is, if you've ever read any of the stories of King David and you've ever tracked any of his life, you know that he was actually an individual who was crippled with fear. He spent years of his life on the run as a fugitive when he when he got into a position of power, he was constantly in fear of other political leaders overtaking him and him losing his power. When he wanted something, he was afraid of missing out, and so he didn't care what moral or ethical lines he had to cross to get it. He was afraid that he wouldn't get what he wanted, and so he did whatever it took to get it. And then after he crossed moral and ethical lines, he was afraid of getting caught. He was afraid of consequences. And so when we read about King David or really any of the individuals who, uh, whose writings are found in our scripture, and we read about them saying, hey, I overcame fear or God took away my fears, really it's a reflection of their heart, their desire, their hope more than it is a reality. Because for all of us, fear is part of the landscape of life. It's never going away. And our only hope for not being defeated by the fears that we encounter on a regular basis is a very little word, called courage. Now, thankfully for us, the Bible is filled with stories of courage. In fact, in the Jewish Bible, 
which is our Old Testament, the first part of our Bible, uh, very early on in the writings, we read about a guy named Moses. Now, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, my guess is you've heard of Moses, all right? There's been movies and cartoons. Disney's put out stuff on Moses. I mean, a very, very famous individual. He was a well-known and popular leader among the Jewish people. In fact, after 400 years of being slaves in Egypt, Moses was the guy who led them out of slavery. Well, the day comes when Moses dies. This legend dies and he needs to be replaced. And his assistant Joshua is the guy to replace him. This is not an enviable position, right? This is like having to replace Jeff Bezos at Amazon. Nobody is going to want to do that. People may seek it out, but they know, hey, there's going to be big shoes to fill, and so there's going to be a lot of insecurity, and that's where Joshua was at. And so here is this new leader of the Jewish people, and God speaks very candidly to him. He says this to Joshua. He says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now think about this. God didn't tell Joshua, hey, you're about to be on the adventure of your life. Things are going to be fun and easy. Everything's going to be unicorns and roses. No. He says, Joshua, there's going to be tough days ahead. You're going to go through different seasons, but know this, I am with you. And based on the reality that I am with you, you need to have courage. Now, just so we're all on the same page, courage is not the absence of fear. Right? Courage is not the opposite of fear. Courage is the willingness to act in spite of fear. Courage is the willingness to act in spite of fear. Courage is the willingness to walk into the unknown, to walk into the very things that cause us anxiety or bring a little bit of terror into our lives, and yet we know, hey, this is, this is the direction I need to go, and we realize the reason I need to go in this direction is because of what eventually is going to come about as a result of my action. Now, one of my favorite stories of all time is the story of Larry Walters. True story. Larry was 33 years old, living in Los Angeles, California. And he had a big dream of being a pilot in the Air Force. Unfortunately, he had bad eyesight, and so he wasn't able to uh, become a pilot. Uh, that was just not going to be a reality in his life. And yet he had this desire to somehow get up into the sky and fly and so there was an idea he started ruminating on. It actually took years to unfold as he kind of planned it and thought about it. And then the day came in 1982 where he walked to a local army surplus store and purchased 45 weather balloons, brought the weather balloons home, attached them to his lawn chair, and filled them with helium. Now, the lawn chair didn't go anywhere because it was tied down to his Jeep. Well, he puts this whole contraption together, he goes inside his house, gets a pellet gun, he grabs a, a sandwich, a couple of drinks, uh, a newspaper, and just a couple of supplies so he can enjoy himself, because his idea, his goal is to kind of float and make his way about 100 feet into the air. You just kind of watch people below. And so he gathers his buddies, he gathers his girlfriend, and when everybody's gathered together, he has them cut the rope that's holding the lawn chair. Well, once they cut it, he goes 100 feet into the air, but he doesn't just little, you know, doesn't float up nicely. He launches like a cannon. And he goes past 100 feet, 200 feet, and just in moments, he is at 16,000 feet. In fact, he is first sighted 
by a DC-10 airline pilot who radios down to the control tower at the Los Angeles International Airport. There is a man up here in his lawn chair. And of course, they had a hard time believing it, but finally they were convinced. Well, Larry, the reason he wasn't able to take his hands off his, his lawn chair and uh, use the pellet gun to shoot down balloons, which was his initial, initial purpose and reason for bringing the pellet gun with him, was he was so scared. He had no idea that he would be up this high. And so after about 60 minutes or so, naturally, the balloon started to pop, and he made his way back down to earth. And once he hit the ground, he grabbed his lawn chair and started to walk. And of course, the police department was there to arrest him. They put handcuffs on him, and he's being led away. And someone shouted out, it was one of the reporters, they shouted out a question. They said, Mr. Walters, why did you do it? And his response was just nonchalant. He said, oh, it's just something I had to do. It's been something I've been thinking about for years. Now, courage doesn't mean craziness. Courage doesn't mean we've got to put our life in danger. And I think for many of us, it's very easy to have images and ideas of what courage looks like, and we miss the fact that we can be people of courage. Generally speaking, all of us are obsessed with courage. That's why movies are made to reflect courage. That's why books are filled with content that reflect courage. Anywhere you go in the world, people are fascinated with this topic. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, this ought to be something we're way more than just fascinated with. This ought to be something of particular interest. Because, as I mentioned a little bit ago, all through the ancient scriptures, there are stories of men and women in our Bible in which they confronted their fears and they acted in a way that was courageous. And their decision to act courageously became a tipping point in their life and often not just their life, but the life of so many other people. So when we read about Abraham and how he senses this prompting that God wants him to move from the land that he grew up in and the area he was comfortable with and familiar with and literally move hundreds of uh, miles away to an area he wasn't familiar with, and didn't have any background or heritage or friends there. And he makes that decision and he moves because of this prompting he feels by God. It becomes a tipping point, not only in his life, but it literally becomes the birthplace of the Jewish nation. So God used that act of courage. When we read about Joseph having the courage to forgive his brothers who had betrayed him, and who hurt him. It became a tipping point, not just for his immediate family, but for all of the Jewish people. When we read about David, having the courage to face this giant named Goliath, it became a tipping point in his life. It launched him into fame. It launched him into a position of leadership. But it also was a tipping point for the Jewish people who were able to regain their confidence in who God was. When we read about three Jewish young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and how they were willing to hold on to their faith when all the pressure around them was pushing them to relinquish their faith and walk away from the God that they had known their entire life. When they had the courage to remain strong, it not only was a tipping point in their life, but it was a tipping point in the life of the Jewish people and in the political leaders of their day who said, man, there is something unique about this God. When we read about Peter Parker being bit by a radioactive spider, all right, every so often I got to make sure you're with me here. Story after story, all through the scriptures, 
courage is evidenced. And of course, the temptation for me is to point to these individuals and say, be like them. The problem is, let's just be realistic. You know and I know we're never going to be a king. And we're never going to be in some field up against some giant. And we're never going to be standing in the, the presence of Pharaoh or any other world leader. And so it's easy for us to dismiss these stories. It's easy for us to look at the movies and to read the books and say, oh, those are unique individuals. And that's true, they are unique individuals. But the reality is every single day you and I interact with individuals and we are confronted with situations that call for courage. Not the kind of courage that's big and dramatic and that's going to make the big screen. Not necessarily the kind of courage that legends are made of, but courage that still has the tipping power to be a tipping point in my life and in your life and in the lives of people around us. Now, there's lots of different directions we could go today in talking about courage. Uh, there are lots of different uh, areas of focus that we can zone in on and, and talk about. Uh, but the one I really want to spend time talking about today is this. The courage to stay when it would be easier to go. The courage to stay when it would be easier to go. Now, of course, you could push back and say, well, aren't there times where you need courage to leave when it would be easier to stay? And I would say, yes, it's just a different aspect of courage. It's a different focus. It's a different face of courage, right? Sometimes we need the courage to ask for help when it would be easier to pretend everything's okay. Sometimes we need the courage to stay silent when it's easier to just open our mouth and talk. Social media is a great example, right? There are other times that we need the courage to speak up when it'd be easier to stay silent. In fact, right now, I'm wrestling with uh, something in, in my own life uh, in, in our church because a couple weeks ago, uh, I had an individual introduce me to their newborn son in the lobby. And they were so proud, as you can imagine, as all parents should be. But what they were really proud of is the name of their son. Because when I asked the name, they said, oh, before we give you the name, let's give you the context. And they said, several months ago, you were giving this story and you were giving some background and you started to talk about this guy, Nero. And while you're talking about him, we look at each other and said, that's it. That's what the baby's name is going to be. And, and I, as I'm talking to them, I'm trying to remember. I mean, I remember talking about Nero but I'm trying to, to think about how in the world they missed the context. Because Nero is one of the most wicked people in all of history. Nero is one of the most evil people who've ever walked the earth. This is like naming your kid Hitler. And then we had baby dedications, and I'm going through uh, naming these babies that were dedicating, and they hold up Nero, and they literally say out loud, like in the Bible. Now, I'm a pastor. I studied the Bible all the time. I've never read Nero's name in the Bible. And so now I'm in this dilemma. Do I have the courage to tell them, hey, somehow you misunderstood, you might want to reevaluate, or do I keep my mouth shut? Now, out of curiosity, and this might be a little bit awkward since I'm not speaking to you in person uh, live, but, but let me ask anyways, how many of you think I should have the courage, go ahead, raise your hand, I should have the courage to tell them what they are getting themselves into with the name Nero? All right, if you're not raising your hand, I am with you. There is not a chance I am telling them, all right? There is not a chance. Uh, my executive pastor that works alongside me, he said, Dave, what happens if a year from now, two years from now, they ask you why you didn't say anything? 
I said, well, just look at him and remind them that, hey, Nero was a powerful leader. And we'll focus on the good of his life instead of the reality of who he ended up being. Well, the reason that courage is so rare, the reason that courage is so hard to evidence is because for the most part, we all just want to get along. Courage disrupts things. It disrupts situations. It disrupts relationships. And for the most part, we just want life to be comfortable and easygoing. That's why we talk alike and look alike and dress alike. You know, occasionally you got some individual who really stands out. But for the most part, the society just moves in a certain direction. And for the most part, that's a good thing. That's why communities are able to exist and, and, and function. But as followers of Jesus, there are going to be days, there are going to be moments, there are going to be situations, there are going to be entire seasons in which we are confronted with something that requires courage in our life because we're going to have to go in the opposite direction. In fact, on a few different occasions, Jesus looked at his closest followers and he said, hey, just to let you know, just to make you aware, there's going to be times when you're persecuted because of your, your belief in me. There's going to be times where you experience tension, where you experience rejection because you've chosen to follow me. In fact, a few years after Jesus had left this earth, two of his closest and most devoted followers, Peter and John, were arrested. And the reason they were arrested is because they had prayed for a guy who uh, needed healing. He had been sick really since his birth. Uh, everyone was familiar with this guy who came to the temple to worship because he'd sit outside the temple. And Peter and John pray for him, and he's healed. He's totally healed. Well, you can imagine, this creates buzz, excitement. Everybody's wondering what's happening. So this crowd is gathering around, and Peter sees this crowd gathering around, so he steps up, and he takes advantage of the moment, and he starts to launch into a message of who Jesus is, and he uses offensive words like resurrection. Now, that's not just an offensive word today. That was offensive 2,000 years ago. And he starts to talk about the love and the grace of God, and he's calling people to repentance. Well, as you can imagine, the Jewish religious leaders feel crazy threatened. They, they don't know what, what to do because there are already a large and growing percentage of Jewish people walking away from the Jewish faith and becoming followers of Jesus. And since they have such influence, these religious leaders... They had Peter and John arrested and thrown into prison. And so they're left there overnight. The followers of Jesus who hear what happened to Peter and John, they assume like Jesus that these two individuals are going to be crucified. They're going to be killed. But they're left there overnight. And the next day they're called out of prison or jail. And they're standing before a council of religious leaders. And the council asked them, hey, tell us what happened yesterday. All right, this guy's healed. Peter, you're talking about Jesus. You're, you're talking about the resurrection. Tell us, explain to us what went on. And Peter's like, hey, I'm glad you asked. And he launches into another talk about who Jesus is. And he gets to the end of his talk. And he makes this statement. Again, pretty offensive statement. He said, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Now this is crazy. This is what got Peter and John put into jail in the first place. So here's Peter. He's wearing his orange jumpsuit because he hasn't had time to change. 
He never even had time to meet Bernie Madoff yet. I mean, this is just happening so very, very quickly. And he's standing there, and he's launching into this message of God's grace. He says, listen, his love, his, his grace, his forgiveness, it's so amazing. And this council of leaders just is be, they're beside themselves. They don't know what to do because they know Peter and John are well-loved and they feel like, hey, if we, if we kill them, we put them to death, we're going to have chaos on our hands. There's going to be some sort of, of pushback, some sort of war. Like, we, we don't want to get involved in all this. And so they send them out of the room. They talk for a little bit. They make a decision on what they're going to do. So they call Peter and John back in and they say, all right, here's the deal. We're going to let you go. We're going to let you go. We're not putting you back into jail. Uh, we're not going to kill you, but you got to shut up. Okay, stop talking about Jesus. Stop talking about the resurrection and stop blaming us for crucifying Jesus. Here's their response. But Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. So Peter and John say, hey, you do what you got to do, and we're going to do what we got to do. And then they leave. And the followers of Jesus all throughout Jerusalem start hearing these rumors that Peter and John were not killed. They were actually let go. They were freed. And everyone breathes a sigh of relief. In fact, here's how the believers responded. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. Quick question. How would you pray in a situation like this? The leaders that have been moving you forward in faith, been helping you connect with God. I mean, this is Brent and Kylie. They have been in jail overnight. Now they're free. How do you pray in a moment? How do you pray in a situation like this? They spent the night in jail. They were almost killed. Now I know how I'd pray. I'd pray for protection, right? I'd pray, God, watch over me. I'd pray, Lord, let your angels kind of guard me. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray, my Lord, the soul, my, soul, my soul you'll keep. Like, I would just, I, I would pray everything I knew how to pray for comfort and safety because that's what I care about. Now, when I was a kid, I didn't care that much about comfort and safety, right? I was a risk taker just like so many children are. And uh, about a half mile from where we lived, we had a bike track, and I would bring my bike over there and pretend I was evil Knievel of the neighborhood because we had all these ramps we had set up and whatnot. But my parents, until I was 11 years old, uh, wouldn't just let me go over there without some sort of protection on my knees, right, knee pads and shin guards. And then, again, about 10, 11 years old, they actually made me wear a brand of jeans that some of you were forced to wear as kids. Does anybody remember Tough Skins? Right, this was like a brand of Kmart. All right, tough skins had like these lethal creases right down the middle. You could barely bend your knees. I mean, cold weather, they crack. But man, I'd fall off my bike. It didn't matter. It didn't matter that it was dirt. Sparks would fly because, man, I was wearing tough skins. My parents constantly, as, as at least when I was a child, cared about my safety and cared about me taking care of myself. Well, the older I get, the more I understand that kind of thinking. So with Peter and John, I... I I'd give them a little bit of advice. I'd say, hey, listen, you've just got let out of jail. You were almost killed. Let's get a security detail in place. Let's get some guys together and some black tricked out Escalades. Let's get some earpieces. Let's, let's, let's really work on safety. And hey, 
just tone down the rhetoric. Don't talk about Jesus. Don't talk about the resurrection. Don't talk about the crucifixion. Don't say anything about one way to God. Like, you know what you need to do? You need to talk about love and peace and maybe even forgiveness. People can get into that, but just let's keep it safe for now. But that's not how they prayed. When we read about these followers of Jesus, this early church uh, community praying, they pray like this. I mean, you read the, the start of their prayer, and it's basically God. This isn't what we were hoping for or asking for, but we realize that their arrest is something you can use, and we think you allowed this to happen so that somehow you can get attention and honor. And then they continue to pray, and they get to the part in the request that pretty much protect me and guard me and watch out for me and, and, and all of the stuff we would pray, and here's what they pray. And now, O oh Lord, hear are their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. This is crazy. Boldness is what put them into this situation. None of us would argue that they already have boldness. Boldness is what's created chaos all over the city. But the question I want to ask you today is simply this. When is the last time you ever prayed for boldness? When is the last time you looked at a situation that was overwhelming? When is the last time you looked at the events in your life that seemed to be causing stress and, and pressing in around you, and you just said, you know what, God? This is the reality of my day-to-day. -day. This is what I've got to confront. Now give me boldness to do it in a way that honors you. I mean, come on, let's be honest. Most of us don't pray like that. We pray, God, take away the problem. God, fix it. Heal it. God, make sure my boss gets fired. Right? God, just, I want nice and comfortable life. And hey, I pray the same way. But this early group of followers of Jesus, man, they prayed for boldness and for courage to move forward. And then they continued to pray. They said, stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, I read those words and I get a little creeped out, right? At East Lake, we don't talk a whole lot about signs and wonders. It just kind of feels like a TV ministry type of thing, right? We picture a guy in an all-white suit or, you know, the pastor's wife who's got makeup that looks like she lost the paintball gun war. Like, we've got images that come to our mind that we're like, yeah, we stay away from that. But in essence, when they said, Lord, we pray for signs and wonders, they're just saying, God, we want you to do something through me. We want you to do something through our faith community in this city that somehow points to who you are. Not for us, but for you. Now, can you imagine what would happen if we began to just make this part of our regular prayer routine? God, give me boldness today. God, give me courage. God, do something in and through me. Do something in and through our church. Not, not for our attention, but for yours. The early followers of Jesus prayed for boldness. And maybe before we even pray for boldness, maybe we just need to pray for a different perspective because that's where this starts to birth. That's why God said to Joshua, hey, just know this, whatever you go through, I am with you. Because if you have that as your perspective, courage will start to form. But a change of perspective is what gives us courage. In fact, courageous people, you'll know this about them as they live with the end in mind. 
Courageous people don't think about the moment, right? Because the moment's uncomfortable. The moment's not fun. The moment's not easy. If it was easy, everybody would be courageous. Everybody would be stepping up. Everybody would be saying what needs to be said. Everybody would be doing what needs to be done. But often the moment is scary. It's terrifying. And people with courage aren't thinking about what's happening today. They're thinking about where were we headed a year from now, in two years, in five years from now. So what would it look like if we just started to say, God, give me boldness and do something in and through me for your honor? Maybe you're in a tough marriage right now. And everything in you wants to bail. And everything in you wants to leave and you want nothing to do with your relationship in this season. You've tried, you've tried, you've tried. And you fear that if you stay around, you're going to continue to be taken advantage of. You're going to continue to have this emptiness inside of you because you don't feel in love. You fear that if you continue to press through in this difficult relationship, like you're letting them off the hook because they did something to you, they said something, it just, it, it feels torturous to even think about staying the course. But what if you just prayed, God, in this season, I don't know how everything's going to work out, and I don't know if it's going to all be happily ever after, but in this season, God, give me the courage to stay strong when it'd be easier to walk away. My grandfather was born in 1928. And like many people in his generation, he was married very young. He was married at 18 years old. And uh, pretty typical family in how many families operated, again, in this time of history. Uh, he was responsible for, uh, for financially for 100% of, of what the family, uh, the, the income for the family. Uh, my grandma was a stay-at-home uh, mom. And... Uh, my grandfather built a house for the family, was taking care of him. Everything was going good. And then at 40 years old, uh, something changed. He had a stroke and did not receive the medical attention that we have today available to us. Um, most likely, if this would have happened a couple years ago, he, he would have been okay. Uh, at least that's what the doctors had told him years later. But uh, based on the medical attention that he received, he never fully recovered. And so my entire growing up years, he was paralyzed on half of his body. Well, that, of course, changes the family dynamics. Social security didn't cover everything. And so my grandma had to go out and get a job and start to provide financially for the family. My mom was 15 years old at the time. She had to get a job part-time to provide. She gave all of the money she made to her mother. My aunt did the same thing. Went out, got a job, gave everything she made to my mom or to my grandmother. Well, let me tell you, when you're 40 years old and your husband has a stroke and is paralyzed on the rest of his body and you know that your future is going to be different than you anticipated, it's, it's easy to walk away. It's easy to say, I didn't sign up for this, but my grandma made the decision to stay. And so for the next 39 years, they were together. They were married and then my grandfather passed away. Well, her courage to stay when it would have been easier to go certainly impacted and had an uh, uh, some sort of amazing effect on her kids because it kept stability together. It was a tipping point for them, but it was also the tipping point for her grandkids and her great-grandkids because we got to watch this, this courageous act of love. And that's what we grew up with is a stable uh, marriage in my grandparents' uh, life. So maybe that's what you need to pray for this season. Maybe in this season, your prayer is, God, I'm getting stressed out. I don't want to be around my house anymore. I don't want to be around my kids anymore, my spouse anymore. And so it's easy for you to go out and 
have drinks with your girlfriends every night or go out with the dudes and, and hang out and just kind of avoid the responsibilities that are building up around the house. Maybe in this season you just say, God, I don't know how much longer I can do this, but I do pray for the courage to stay strong and to stay the course because it'd be much easier to go. Or maybe you've been fighting an addiction and you've reached out, you've, you've gotten into AA, you, you've reached out, maybe you're in Celebrate Recovery, but every day just feels like a losing battle. And so your prayer just needs to simply be, God, give me the courage to stay strong. Give me the courage to stay the course. Or maybe you started doing this, and then you dropped the ball. And, you, and this was your biggest fear, right? Everybody said I was going to drop the ball. I didn't think I could do it, and yeah, I was right. I couldn't do it. So you're afraid of picking up the ball again and moving forward because you're afraid of what other people are going to think, and you just need to pray, God, give me the courage to re-engage and to move forward. Maybe for you, you started at one point the journey of generosity in your life. And you realize that living in America, all of us are blessed. And so you opened up your hands and you said, I'm going to start to return to God a percentage of what he's trusted me with. But then bills started to pile up and opportunities to buy this or send your kids here, or do a vacation there, began to overwhelm you. And so you just started to kind of lose a little bit of that drive and excitement to be returning to God a portion of what he's trusted us with. And so maybe your prayer needs to be today, God, give me the courage to stay strong in my desire to be a generous person. Give me the courage to stay the course when it'd be easier to walk away. Or maybe for you, it's an issue of forgiveness. You started a journey of forgiveness. Someone hurt you deeply, and you fear that any time you make a little bit of progress with forgiveness, you fear like you're letting them off the hook. You fear like you're making things too easy for them. You fear like this is uh, going to give them a free pass. But yet, you know that if you can get to the point in your life where you choose not to retaliate and return evil for evil, you're going to be a more free person. And so your prayer just needs to be, God, give me the courage to stay strong and stay the course. It's possible your prayer just needs to be, God, I'm tired of doing good. I'm tired of having to maintain morals and ethics because of my faith in you. I'm watching how everybody else is doing dating. Seems like they're having a lot more fun than me. I'm watching how everybody else does business. Man, there's lack of ethics taking place. Yet they're moving forward and I'm getting behind and, and you just feel like throwing in the towel and maybe the prayer just needs to be, God, help me to stay strong. Help me to stay the course and it'll be easier to walk away. Every couple of weeks at the church I pastor in Wisconsin, someone will come up to me and they'll start to talk to me about how their life is being changed because of the ministries of the church. And they'll say, David, I just want to thank you. I know that when you started the church eight, almost nine years ago now, it was a huge risk and it was scary. But because you took the risk, my life is being changed. And every time I stop them, I say, hey, listen, I'm not belittling what you say. I so appreciate it. It is encouraging to me. And, and I know this is going to sound like false humility, but I'm telling you, this is, this is really the, 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 the reflection of my heart. You don't need to thank me, all right? Because what I did and my wife did, yeah, it took some courage, but to me, it wasn't that big of a deal. It was really a, an outpouring of who I am and how I grew up. I grew up in a godly home. I grew up attending church every single Sunday, Right, from a young age, I knew that this is something I wanted to do. I said, if, if you want to thank anybody for courage, go find my dad who attends the church. I said, go find my dad. By the way, the picture you're looking at, I just want to be clear, my dad was not in the mafia. All right, he was, th th That's just what he looked like at that stage in his life. 
But my dad did not grow up attending church every Sunday. He actually uh, was in the foster care system for a while. He had a lot of deep anger and bitterness issues toward his father. He watched alcoholism destroy his family. And in his early 20s, he made a courageous decision. He said, I want to set a different course for my kids than I had. I want to raise a different kind of family. Just the way he thought, he he said, well, I should probably go to church and, and figure out if this is a different way I could raise my family. He's thinking, you know, I'll get some motivational talks and I'll get some good tips and helpful information on how to be a good dad or a good husband. And he started attending regularly on Sunday mornings and eventually he got to the point where he said, I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. And it was an act of courage. Not just to make the decision, but to stay the course. Because my dad became a follower of Jesus at a time period in history that was really crappy to be a follower of Jesus because it was in the 80s. It's when a bunch of TV ministry scandals were taking place. It's a time period when the word Jesus was almost synonymous with politics and being Republican. It was a time period where just a lot of chaos. Church was known for what they were against, not what they were for. So he had all these reasons to walk away. In fact, the church he was a part of, they went through leadership regularly. Six different pastors over the time period that he has been a part of that church. In fact, he still attends there on Saturday nights. He attends Great Lakes Church on Sunday morning, but he attends that church on Saturday nights. So he's been through all this stuff, but he remained faithful. And because he chose to stay the course in being surrendered to Jesus, it laid a foundation for myself, for my brothers, for my sister, a spiritual foundation. It became a tipping point for us. And ultimately, it became a tipping point for the thousands of people who call Great Lakes Church their home. My dad's decision certainly affected me. And then years later, started a church, but all going back to my dad's influence. Courage has lots of different faces. Sometimes it's choosing to stay when it would be easier to walk away. That's why the Apostle Paul writes a letter to followers of Jesus living in Galatia in the first century, and he writes these words. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Paul says, if you stay the course, there is a reward in there somewhere. Now, that doesn't mean the marriage is going to work out like you were hoping. And it doesn't matter mean the financial situation is always going to be what you pictured and imagined. It just means that God notices. And I personally needed to reference back to this verse and verses like it many times in the last 18 months because the last 18 months of my life and in the life of our church have been without question the most challenging, difficult, and discouraging months of our church's history. We, in the past five months, have had to move five different times. So our Kenosha campus, which is our largest campus, we've taken a hit by about 25% in our attendance. Our finances have been affected. Our morale, our excitement has been affected. Right now we're meeting in a a, a dirty warehouse and we've done our best to clean it up, but we're not investing any money because we realize that this is a a very temporary situation that we're going to be in. We'll only be in it a couple more months, but it's been very discouraging. Yet I've had to go back to this reality that, hey, if we just keep planting and we keep watering and we just keep being faithful, eventually There is going to be a harvest. Eventually, good is going to come out of this if we don't give up. But the reason it's so 
easy to give up. The reason it's so easy to throw in the towel, the reason that every single day I got to pray, God, help me be strong, is because I'm addicted to adrenaline. And you're addicted to adrenaline. We just want things to happen now. We want them to happen quickly. We want the names to be in the paper. We want movies to be made out. And so if we take an act of courage, if we move and we have a step forward and nothing happens, we just feel like, why, why, why keep moving forward? This isn't even worth it. You know, we, we think of people like Martin Luther King Jr. and Rosa Parks, and man, they, they were just launched into fame. And we forget there were many, 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 many events and many, many, many years that led up to them being launched into people that we know as individuals of courage. So let me leave you with this thought. Most acts of courage are not big and they're not overwhelming and they're not dramatic. Most acts of courage are small and undramatic. When you choose to hold strong to your convictions and everybody is pressing around you to to get you to give up those convictions, it's not easy. When you're moving one direction, it seems like everyone else is moving in another direction, it's not easy. But your act of courage to speak up or to stay so silent, your act of courage to ask for help, your act of courage to stay put and stay on course rather than walk away, has the potential to be a tipping point in your life and in the life of people around you. So let me leave you with the words we started with today. The words God spoke to Joshua. He said, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this faith community, for Eastlake Church. And I pray for the many individuals who make up this church and the specific situations they're going through in their life right now. For some, their marriage, for some, their finances, for some, parenting issues. But God, all of us can point to something where we feel like throwing in the towel and giving up. I pray you would give us the wisdom to identify what those issues are and the courage to do something about it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for letting me be with you today.